Hello and welcome to Parallel, a tech podcast with accessibility sprinkles. This is episode 14 for March 6, 2019. Thanks so much for being with me. My guest today is a fellow podcaster, Darcy Bernard, who is the uh, a co-panelist with me on the Accessibility Roundtable and in fact the audio editor, the guy who puts us all together every two weeks. And um, we're going to talk about podcasting, the nuts and bolts of podcasting, and particularly from an accessibility perspective. So even if you're not a podcaster, you might be interested in how those of us who use accessibility tools do podcasts. Hi, Darcy. How's it going? Pretty good. Thanks for having me here. Good to be here. My pleasure. We've known each other for a really long time, back before Maxisability. Well, tell, tell your history in podcasting, because it's almost as long as mine, or maybe longer. I don't know. Close. I think you're, you were slightly into podcasting before I was. I got into it in uh, kind of April, May 2005. It's kind of funny because um, uh, my girlfriend and I both discovered podcasts around the same time. And I think literally a week later, we, we did our first podcast because we just were both so taken with the, the medium. And, you know, we listened to this, the podcast that everybody listened to back in those days, like, you know, the Adam Curry's Daily Source Code and you know, the stuff Leo Laporte was doing and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and uh, yeah, we. Just, and I think I actually, I actually became aware of, I think we, you and I became aware of each other from the, the Daily Source Code, because I remember I did a promo on there once, and I think you got in touch with me after that. Right, that was kind of like a weird thing, and, and just like, oh, there are other people with similar interests, but this is not the interest I figured I'd be sharing with people. It's like other, but we, I don't know if we, we didn't really call ourselves accessibility podcasters or whatever. Bl- oh, blindcasters, that was the oh. word that not, none of us liked. And I think Adam Curry sort of liked it. Yeah, that was a term I'm glad, um, you know, vanished into obscurity very Same. quickly because not not a favorite. No, term. not at all. And there was even a mailing list for a while. I think it was a Yahoo group called Blindcasters. I was like, make that die. And fortunately, there was it too. Has. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and Adam Curry, he needed to be schooled about a few things, but at least it got us in touch with one another a little bit. And, yeah. And yeah. it turned out there were, I mean, there were other people doing podcasts at that time too. But see, like me, the story I always tell about podcasting, people say, well, what was the first podcast you listened to? I said, I don't remember because I listened to podcasts only to learn how to make them. That's I, I wanted to do it the same way. I was like immediately intrigued by this medium. and was like, I just want to do it. Oh, wait, I have to learn how to do it first? Oh, well, that's no fun. You guys like me, you guys got the iRivers, which were these little MP3 players, recorders that Adam Curry recommended and they were very tiny and uh, and we all ran around and, and recorded with iRivers back in the days, right? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was looking through a junk drawer the other day and I saw that thing. I still have it. <laughs> I think I saw mine. I think I, at one point I was smart enough to at least take the battery out of it. It had took a double A battery. And I think I even lost the back of the battery compartment. And um, there, there were like accessibility issues with that too, because we had to essentially map out the uh, controls. I didn't do it, but there was somebody who, who kind of did iRiver uh, mapping controls for all the blind podcasters. Yeah, and the other thing that was that was kind of odd too about that the iRiver is, by default you had to use um, the software it came with. But if you wanted to just have it look like a, a drive, you had to install like an alternate version of the firmware to the oh, iRiver. That's it was right. all kinds I of crazy about stuff. All that you had stuff. To do. And like, yeah, even finding the Mac version of the software to mount it on your, your computer was a thing because it was yeah. a solid state. MP3 recorder, and I say MP3 recorder, I can't even remember. Could you record to Wave or not? Um, but it's like a gigabyte file uh, uh, storage space in it or something like that. But Yeah, it wasn't um, much. No, but 
It was very tiny, which was that was the thing. Like even now, I wouldn't record from it because the microphones are not awesome. You could re- add an external microphone. But even now, as tiny as it was, it's kind of an amazing little gadget because it literally fit in the palm of your hand. Oh, sure. And yeah. it didn't it wasn't one of those things where when you were recording with it, you were likely to hit a button and stop the recording. It was it was very flexible that way and sturdy, rugged, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, yeah. So not not to go too far back down the memory lane. So but but I wanted to talk to you because um, we're both making podcasts that involve other people as well as um, editing them and doing post-production on them. And each of us has our own set of tools. I think every podcaster kind of comes up with his or her suite of tools. I know you and I probably also read the same uh, blogs from other people who talk about their sets of tools. And and just like the iRiver back in the day, there are things that kind of everybody has in common, but there's also a lot of individual stuff that we've cooked and put together for accessibility reasons, partly. So, so I guess I'd, I'd be interested to know, like, what's, what's your podcasting rig these days? Well, um, mostly I do podcasts on my Mac um, with Skype, as you know, we all use Skype still. We all complain about it, but we all use it. Um, and uh, we have tried some other um we did try facetime once um i think at some point we're probably gonna try zoom but we we still use skype for this is like from accessibility and um i use a call recorder to record the call um record the skype call although i have noticed the last couple times i've i've uh started a call i get that warning that you know this this app you know is 32 bit and won't be supported soon so i think call recorder is days may be numbered, but that doesn't matter at least too much on my end because in addition to call recorder, I'm also using um, audio hijack. And the reason I'm using that is because um, we also do this, do the podcast live while we're like, we stream it live. And so it's kind of audio, audio hijack is doing what um, we used to use Nicecast for. It's streaming the podcast. And so it's, it's also being recorded there. And uh, the nice thing about Audio Hijack that Nicecast couldn't do is there's like a switch, um, an input switch. So before we're actually ready to start, I can have music playing. And then when we're ready, I can switch over to um, to us and then people can listen to us. So that's how I'm recording. And then to edit, um, mostly what I'm using is Amadeus Pro, um, which has its quirks, but I've kind of gotten used to it. But the way we do it, do it is we all record our own tracks and everyone sends them to me and, you know, hopefully there's no glitches and I, you know, do all the editing and then I upload them to the the individual tracks to the Ophonic uh, leveler, which actually does a really good job of getting rid of um, like um, like background noise and like crosstalk, like if someone has like, you know, their, their like bleed from their headphones it does a really good job of cutting all that out and putting everything to a consistent level. And then I do like the final edit where I put in the opening theme and if we have an ad or whatever. And uh, yeah, pretty. Oh, and then finally, I think the final step is I use uh, Marco Arment's uh, forecast utility to export it to MP3 because the nice thing about that is it puts in all the, the chapter markers for the podcast so people can jump back and forth to the different sections. So I want to walk through all those pieces. I also want to ask you, what microphone are you using these days? And is it connected directly to your Mac or what? I'm using the uh, Blue Yeti, um, which is, you know, it has its quirks. I'm, I'm at some point might get something better, but it, it sounds okay. I've got a, a pop filter in front of it. Um, and 
So that that's what I'm using right now. The thing about the Blue Yeti is I I think it's really subject to how well you can use it. I think unlike other microphones, it, it maybe it's not just because it's a condenser, but somehow it's just a very kind of noisy mic. And if you have a room like I tried to record using that thing in my office, which has hardwood floors and is kind of a big room, and I was never very good at it. And I I know other people who are terrible at the Blue Yeti, but there are other you know you sound good, and a lot of people I know who who have figured out how to use it or have the right size room seem to make it work. Yeah, fortunately, this room is relatively small. It is carpeted. Now, unfortunately, sometimes, especially this time of year when it's cold, when the uh, when the furnace comes on, you do hear that. So you're right, it does pick up a lot. It does it does pick up a lot of room noise. I am sitting over here with my Heil PR40 connected to an Onyx blackjack interface and then to the Mac. And I have all this equipment I actually don't use anymore because I keep changing the way my podcasts run. And then and like you, I uh, talk to people on Skype. Uh, we always, before we begin a show, we always have to complain about Skype. And usually it's organic. I mean, it's a, the joke I have is that we always complain about Skype because that's a thing we do, but, but it just happens. Uh, and then we go on and we do our show. I guess it's some, like some sort of devotional thing. And then I get everybody yeah. to record their tracks and I'm, I'm Intrigued that I want to talk to you about Alphonic in a little bit because I do a different thing and I, uh, the bane of my existence is a headphone bleed. So we'll get to that shortly. But um, uh, I use Call Recorder too. And the main reason I do that is because when I load Skype, Call Recorder just starts. I don't have to remember it. I get, I have a keyboard maestro routine that when Call Recorder is done, opens up the Ecamm app that lets me split the tracks into my ch- my track and the other track and we'll just drop it when then the keyboard maestro thing drops it where I want it to drop and if it's um I don't usually use the, I don't use the call recorder track it's always my backup track and then I'm running I'm recording into Amadeus Pro and I don't know why I'm not using audio hijack other than that I prefer to add effects and compression and stuff like in post production rather than it from from the jump yeah, I don't I don't use any of the real time stuff in, in audio because you can you can add all the you know real time compression and effects and stuff like that. And anything I would do, I would do afterwards. And audio hijack is super accessible. All the the block interface of moving things around. I mean, that was what everybody was super excited about when they it was accessible before. But when they revamped audio hijack and I think they used to call it audio hijack pro and now mm-hmm. it's just audio hijack. But how does the um the I'm going to say nice cast, but it's not nice cast anymore. How does the live streaming interface uh, work with audio hijack? And don't you have to have a server to to do that as well? You do. Um, you have to have a um, a server. But if you own like if like I have a, a Linode, so I have it running there. Um, and and yeah, anywhere you can connect to. And and the as far as audio hijack is concerned, it's just another output block. Um, it is um. You know, you can just that's just, instead of having it output to a device or to a file, you can have it output to Nicecast. Um, one thing I will say, as far as accessibility with Audio Hijack, is it is definitely a lot better because earlier in the original version, all the effects stuff was completely inaccessible, um, and uh, you can do that now. The only thing I find is, um, and and maybe. Maybe visually it's easier because you can just drag things around and, and see how they line up. What I find is before I even start to make a new session, I have to really map out sort of in my head how it's going to work, like, you know, what flows to what and where the where the blocks are going to be. Um, I, I find it just to, to kind of map it out in my head first before I even start. 
Well, it kind of snaps into, it tries to snap into place. And sometimes that's a problem. And I always realize when I hijack, I don't, I don't use full screen windows. It may seem weird that somebody low vision wouldn't make the window as big as they possibly could, but I actually get lost if windows are too big. And so if I'm creating a new audio hijack session, if I haven't created enough space in the window, sometimes the block will jump to a place I don't want it to jump because there's not enough room for it. And it will just like, and so that's what it's doing. Like if you drag a block over near another block, sometimes it'll jump above or jump down below because it's trying to, I don't know if there's a way to turn the snap to grid thing off it's it's trying to do what it's supposed to do and connect them but yeah you're right i have to map it out in my brain a little bit too especially if i'm trying to do uh you know a couple of microphones plus maybe some sort of you know music input or something like that i don't do that much anymore but whenever i have the most complicated thing i ever did actually was really interesting i was um on Allison Sheridan's podcast, uh, No Silicast, and she wanted essentially a voiceover demo. And the way we did that was we created an audio hijack block that would capture the output of my Mac through QuickTime. And mm -hmm. that was like she she had the ba the nice thing about audio hijack is you can send sessions around. So she sent me a session that she had that I had to adapt for my purposes. But then we tried to do one more thing and it kind of broke. And uh -huh. uh, eventually worked. And I don't know if I still have that session or not, but it was super complex and it did make me have to think very logically. I wasn't using Loopback or Soundflower or any of those tools, I don't think. I think I was just using whatever the standard inputs and outputs. Oh, and I had, that's right. I had my phone connected physically to the Mac because that's the way you do. Uh, you could get voiceover output from the phone to go into the Mac via audio hijack and QuickTime. And QuickTime, yeah. Yeah, I've I've done that before, but I've never done it over Skype. Um, but I can imagine the the uh, the complexity there because it can get quite interesting, especially if you are yeah, if you have all those different outputs. And what I actually find, um, I don't I don't know if we're, if we're getting too far into the weeds here or not, but like um, some of the default templates that they give you, like the one to record Skype, is is fine, except that it records the Skype track and your track into one file, which is not what I want. And you you can maybe set it so that, it, you know, it's a stereo track where you're on one track and the other person's on the other track, but I really don't want that either. So I will make it so that it goes, you know, into two separate files because I just find that much easier. And that's, so I end up making my own sessions rather than using the, the templates. Yeah, you you can set it to to do that, that stereo. It was just the way you described it. In, in Skype, there's a pull down to do it. But yeah, it is one more step. And it also just means afterwards, you've got to go and separate the files out, which is analogous to what you have to do in Call Recorder, because you have that QuickTime movie file and the Ecamm app. And by default, it doesn't split. You have to go and click the little switch and, and make it split and stuff like that. So it's kind of irritating. Um, I want to talk about why we choose Skype, even though we complain about it. But let me just ask you, I know when we were, for, when for group FaceTime first became available, and this is before the FaceTime bug, uh, all of us were excited about trying group FaceTime to record, uh, but that didn't exactly work. There were some accessibility issues, weren't there? There were indeed. Um, the big problem was um, for people who don't uh, use accessibility, um, for voiceover, whenever you have a button, um, the developer can put a label on that button so that, you know, instead of seeing a, some sort of picture or whatever, it, there'll be a, a verbal description of, of what the button does when you press it. Um, somehow, I guess there was some sort of oversight, none of the buttons in the group FaceTime um, 
section of, of FaceTime were labeled. So there was just a whole bunch of unlabeled buttons and it was really difficult to actually make a call with a bunch of people. And then you were, you know, if you wanted to mute, it was hard to remember, okay, is it the third button over or whatever? And so we just decided to to go back to Skype until, and maybe give FaceTime another try once they, they fix all that. But I mean, it sounded good when we did it but it just was too tricky. And most of us were using, I was using my iPad that day because I had never used group FaceTime and an iPad, but everybody else was using a Mac and we couldn't really figure out whether the problems were exactly the same. I think there were some different unlabeled button issues on FaceTime for iPad than there were on the Mac, but we wanted to record and there wasn't really an easy way for us to record our own tracks. I mean, there are ways to do it. Uh, and we may or may not talk about those when I talk about my field recording a little bit later on, but uh, it's it's not as easy as one would like. So we're back at Skype. And yet we've talked about Zoom. Now, I've been on some podcasts that are recorded with Zoom. And as a participant, it's super easy because you don't have to record your audio. You get an email, you get a link, and you are automatically added to the call. It's much like Google Hangouts in that way. It's super easy to uh, exchange information in the call, but I've listened back to some of those podcasts that I've participated in, and they haven't sounded all that good. And so, because it's a server recording, I think there's still some limitations. Because you could do what you what what we do with Skype, you could send your own tracks, but I think for most people, the attraction of Zoom is that you don't have to fool with that, right? You're going to get recordings of all the individual participants. Yeah. Yeah, and and if and if they are compressed in any way, then then you've you've lost some of the advantage of everybody recording their own track. Because if everyone does that and everybody's mics are sounding, you know, sound good and all that, you know, you can get a really nice sounding podcast. Um, and you you do lose some of that if you if you just record Skype or you just record, you know, anything. It was funny because I've depending on who I've podcasted with, I've been asked to do Google Hangouts, which can be a mess. Uh, I've been asked to do Zoom. I haven't actually been asked to do Discord. Somebody who was going to be on one of my shows said, hey, have you tried Discord? And I opened it up. I can't speak to the accessibility of it, but I opened up the Mac app and I found it really confusing because I don't really think it's optimized for what we do. I think it there's all sorts of like collaborative kind of things you can do on it. And I know people, I think it's the Mac Geek Gab guys do Discord. Uh, but and I do you I think know Allison does also. I think, I think she might. I does. think she might. Do you uh, know anything about the accessibility of Discord? Um, I looked at it. Um, I think like a year and a half ago when it, when I first started hearing about it because I think I think again because um Allison was doing it, and I think she was doing her live stuff on there and people could go and whatnot. I was going to try it and I at that point it it wasn't very accessible. I think if I remember correctly. It was one of those situations where the Mac app was basically like a web page. You know, it wasn't really like an and um it didn't work that well then. I've heard I do know of people who use it now, so I think it's gotten better, but I think there are still issues. Um but I haven't I don't have any firsthand experience with it. Right. And I guess I'll to back up on Zoom, uh, I will say that the people I know who have adopted it happen to be some blind podcasters. And so I know from their point of view it's successful and both Mac and Windows users. But I've not encountered anybody who's using Discord on a regular basis. And the last one I'll mention, I don't know anything about where this app came from. And I don't know if you've ever used it, but I also podcast with some people who use this thing called Team Talk. And it is it's it, it records it to me feels like a better setup than uh, uh, 
Zoom because the recordings, even though the application takes care of the recordings and they're sent to the server, they seem to be better. And again, that seems to be favored by some some not only blind podcasters, but folks who communicate in audio format. And I, I'm just going to put a link in the show notes, but I have I don't even know where Team Talk came from. Have you ever used that? I have not, but I've heard a lot of really good things about it from from other people. Yeah, and it's super uh, technical in terms of the ways you can adjust the behavior of your own audio. You can control the input and output level, which is beyond what most people would want to do. You can save sessions so that you have it's 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 kind of like um, well, that's not even a good analogy. I was going to say it's kind of like uh, audio IRC in the sense that you've got chat going on and you have the ability to jump in and out of conversations and move from channel to channel. So I think a lot of people use it for sort of, you know, it's, it's the kind of communication that you might do if you were gaming or something like that. Um, but you can save sessions and send them around and say, well, here are the settings you need to log on to my server. Again, it's server-based, so somebody has to be running a server. And mm-hmm. on as a Mac person, I've always recorded my own end and sent it to them. But the last couple times I did it, they said they didn't need my recording. So finally, they've got whatever was a problem uh, fixed because everybody else is on Windows. And so they gave me crap about being a Mac person. But, you know, what else is new? <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. So tell me how you use uh, Amadeus Pro. I discovered that app without regard to accessibility. I was just looking for a good audio editor. And I liked it because the interface is very simple and straightforward, but it still has a lot of powerful tools in it. But you found that it was accessible. accessible, And it, it's sort of the the uh, the successor to Sound Studio. It kind of reminds me of that one, which was another accessible audio editor. Yeah, and I actually kind of switched from Sound Studio to Amadeus. And the reason I did is because... Um, I kind of start to worry when apps don't get updated for a while. And it seemed like it had been a really, really long time. And, um, you know, I knew that people were using Amadeus and I, um, and I, I decided to try it out and I, I really do like it because, um, it's, it's fairly simple. Once you get used to it, there's, you know, there's shortcut keys for just about anything. Um, you know, it can do multi-track stuff. Um, so it works obviously for, for how, how we do our, our show and uh, yeah, it's 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 a nice it's a nice. I found I did try GarageBand once, um, and I just found it kind of overkill, like for what I wanted. Um, and that's why I've never tried Logic because I know the Logic is even more even more so. Um, and uh, it it meets my needs. You know, I, I'm used to it. I guess it's it's one of those things too where you know you're used to something, so you keep you keep working with it because you know you know how to do everything. I've always felt about Amadeus that it was really good for the cutting, pasting, moving, sort of, you know, heaving of individual tracks. And GarageBand, I never really could do that or liked to do it. I've made plenty of podcasts where I've taken Amadeus tracks, edited them in Amadeus, rather, as WAV files or AIFFs, and and put them into GarageBand with music underneath or with other tracks, and I've done the assembly in GarageBand. And so it wasn't the overkill of features. And I've actually thought seriously about getting Logic because I like some of the advanced features, but I don't know enough about whether the experience would be more like GarageBand or more like Audition, which I've used and which I'll talk about in a little bit. But but Amadeus, even uh, at my workplace now where I have Audition and have been learning to use it, I go into Amadeus if all I want to do is cut audio. So if I come in here and I record something and I do a stutter or an uh or an um and I want to get rid of it, my 
default tool is Amadeus because those keyboard shortcuts are under my fingers. I know how they work. They're easy. Amadeus is really fast. It doesn't have a lot of overhead. And I almost never do like any audio processing in it. I just like edit stuff. Mm -hmm. But you find you didn't have to map a lot of keyboard shortcuts for your own use. Everything you needed was in there and the voiceover experience is pretty good. Yeah, the voiceover experience is is quite good. Um, I you know I, I haven't really had to. I think I have a a custom voice like a voiceover like one of the voiceover shortcuts where it announces or tells me the time like the elapsed time so I can kind of keep track of that. But otherwise, um, I don't really like. There, there's enough things built into the uh, the shortcuts. Like there's enough shortcuts and you know the things I don't use as often. I can just get to them from the menu. So yeah, I I haven't done a lot. Well, I have used it in multi-track. I don't find editing in multi-track with Amadeus as as much fun or as much as useful as I do in Audition. But I think that's because when I started my job, I needed to learn Audition. And I actually came home from work and I said, I have to not install Amadeus because this is the, the Audition is the tool they use. I need to know how to use the tool. I need to never be in a situation where somebody comes to me and says, well, can you do this? And I'm like, I could do it in Amadeus. And I felt that way about multi-track because Audition was kind of a learning curve and a whole set of keyboard shortcuts for multi-track. But now that I've learned them, I really like them because ripple deletes right. are cool. And, uh, you know, do you want the whole track moved to the left as you delete something or do you want to delete something and leave a space and there's separate shortcuts for that and then it has all sorts of cool stuff like match volume so I, I use that a lot so I have a, multiple tracks all recorded to different volumes instead of trying to guess how to normalize them I use this thing called match volume and it just magically makes them all come up to the same level and then if I have to reduce them noise or something like that I'll do that um, yeah that, that's pretty cool yeah Amadeus is it was it was weird getting used to Jumping from, you know, single track stuff to, to multi-track because there are things you can really mess yourself up if you're not careful because, um, you know, let's just say you you want to cut out like an um or a cough or something off of one track. If you forget and you just hit delete instead of like, you know, replace with silence or not or delete in all tracks or whatever, then you've gotten everything out of sync, you know, because then it deletes it off of one track and then all your tracks are out of sync. So you got to be very careful. I don't think Amadeus can easily uh, move all the tracks to the left, say if you delete something in one track and you want to move everything over to the left to, to, to close the space, I don't think it'll do that directly with all tracks. Or if it does, I haven't found that command. That's something Audition will do for me. Yeah, it's it's very much like you delete. If you need to do that, like if, if you delete something from one track, or, or what I actually use a lot is the um, sort of replace with silence. And then um, then if you have a big gap, then you've just then you've got to do like delete in all tracks. That's how you have to do it. So it's sort of a multi-step process. Uh, before Auphonic came along, did you use the levelator to do that stuff? I did. I did. And um, I, although it only did single track, the thing that I like about Auphonic is they have a single track and a multi-track version. And the multi-track is, is sort of better at, um, you know, like it, it kind of works with each track first and then, you know, mixes it down and, and uh, makes sure everything's at a consistent level. But yeah, I used the levelator for a long time. The thing that surprised me that you said about about Auphonic was that it got rid of things like headphone bleed. So what I do is I go into Amadeus or whatever I'm using that day, and I actually do replace with silence, 
for all those areas where there's headphone bleed. Or I use Ferrite. I've been using that on the iPad, which I mm-hmm. know also is accessible. And my for the past four or five parallel episodes, that's what I've been doing. I've been starting in Ferrite, and I do this strip silence thing uh, in Ferrite. And then I save everything out as a WAV file. And then I go listen in Amadeus to hear if it's gotten everything. And sometimes it has, and sometimes it hasn't. And then I'll put them together in usually an audition because I can do my match volume tool. But it never occurred to me to send them to Auphonic and to trust that it would get rid of headphone bleed. Because what you get out of Auphonic, aren't you getting a, you're getting a WAV file. You can't edit that multi-track once you've pulled it out of Auphonic, can you? Well, you can actually. You can have it send you back the multi the multiple files again if you wanted to. I've never done that. I I have it send me. Yeah, it sends me a um. Well, it sends me a FLAC file just because it's smaller. But yeah, essentially a um, a lossless file. Um, but now I do before I send stuff to a phonic, I do go through and I get rid of some of the most like egregious stuff. Like if there's a lot of background noise, like if someone forgets to mute or um, um maybe they have. Maybe they have Apple Watch noises. That's actually one thing that's kind of interesting because um, as, you know, someone who can't see the waveform on the screen, sometimes when when there's an, an Apple Watch chime, it's like, okay, now who had the Apple Watch chime? Which track is that on? Do I have to find it, you know? Um, but uh, so I get rid of the most egregious stuff. And sometimes if there's like really long stretches where no one said anything, I'll, I'll mute that out. And I actually have played with the the ferrite um, strip silence thing. And that, that actually, I, I really do like that app. I don't use it as much as, as I should, but that, that is a really nice app on, on iOS. I don't think I agree with the people who say that ferrite is a pleasant way to edit audio because I don't find touch screens a good way to physically like move things around and, and cut them. I know Jason Snell is a huge ferrite advocate, but I for me, the Mac is just a superior interface as far I don't you could do anything you wanted to ferrite. I don't think you could make to, could make it any better unless you gave me a mouse and a keyboard. In which case, hey, let's just use a Mac. Uh, but I but have you have you done any sort of editing with Ferrite? Um, a little bit. Um not not a lot. I, I've done it to to a lot of like what you mainly mainly described. Use like the strip silence, and then and then put it back. You know, d- put the tracks back on the computer. Um, now apparently they've added if you have a, a keyboard. Apparently they have added some keyboard shortcuts. So I don't I don't know if that makes it easier or not. Um, and I also don't have I don't have an iPad. So as as you know, problem as problematic as a touchscreen might be on a bigger screen on a phone you know it's a really tiny little area to uh to do edits so that sounds horrible uh, editing on a phone yeah. I, I i don't think i maybe in landscape but i i don't know if i do that <laughs> but i'm i'm actually intrigued about the alphonic thing and i have used the three versions of alphonic mostly when i have files that are sort of troublesome uh, my, my default is not to use it, but I've also done a couple of comparisons and I really like the results. I, I said to you before that uh, sometimes I've recorded my track from accessibility and I've heard the result and I sound better on accessibility than I do here on Parallel. And I was like, why is that? And you're like, it's Auphonic. <laughs> so <laughs> right after I wish that, I could I take credit for it, you know? <laughs> I wish I could be like, yeah, oh, you're, that, yeah. You're I, brilliant. That's... You just edit the yeah. heck. You make it sound great. It's all the compression <laughs> and the EQ and everything. Yeah, I wish I could take credit for it, but they they do great stuff. And depending on how much you use it, it's 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 pretty affordable. Um cuz they give you 2 hours of of free um time every month and then and then if you want to buy additional hours you you can. So, depending on how much you use it. Now, they do have a standalone app that you can buy, so you don't have to upload stuff to the website, and I would love to do that 
the problem is, as far as I know, it doesn't work with voiceover because as soon as I open, like when I open it, as far as voiceover is concerned, there's nothing on the screen. Right. And now the, and the web interface is basically just filling out forms. So it's pretty accessible. Have you found anything in the web interface that is not read by voiceover? No, no, it's fine. It works great. That's cool. So you've, you've actually opted to pay because as we know, our max accessibility podcasts are often more than an hour and we do two a month. So you do the math. But since it resets every month, I've, I've only had to pay a couple of times and it's, you know, if you like, I usually just buy a few hours at a time and it's, I don't know, five, $10 or something. It's not much. But if you're sending multiple tracks, are you not paying one f- for each track? Aren't you paying the entire amount of the no, time? You're, you're paying for the full, you're paying for the, the, the work being done. So if I send a, if I have a, say my accessibility is an hour and 10 minutes long, right? But there's like five tracks. It's only charging me for an hour and 10 minutes. It doesn't matter how many tracks there are. Um, it's just, it's the amount of work that's being, that, like the length of the, the final product. Now, you're using Auphonics, so it may not be as much of an issue as it was in the past, but is there an optimum number of tracks beyond which you don't want to go? Like, if we're lucky enough to get five or six people on Mac accessibility, is that just a, a pain for you? Uh, not really. I mean, it's sometimes, like I said, it's harder. Um, like what I was saying earlier, if there's if there's some sort of background noise to, to hunt it down, I have to do a lot of, like, you know, select the track, um do the thing where it just plays that track and, you know, find it. Um, because if there's a, like a, you know, obviously every, with every track, you, you're, you're magnifying that like, or multiplying rather the, the amount of background noise that there could potentially be. Um, so that's the only problem with a lot of tracks. It just, it, it takes longer. Um, but I don't think with accessibility, I don't think we've ever had more than like six people. And I, I can do that. I think any more than that. I think any more than that, and at least the type of show that we do from accessibility, where it's like a conversation, it just kind of becomes chaos anyway, right? So, well, not that we haven't had a few chaotic episodes, but oh, that's yeah, okay. That's, that's you know, that's, that's what it is. Part of the yeah, and 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 our our quality of uh, audio seems to vary quite a bit. You have some folks who are. Sometimes somebody's accidentally recording on the internal microphone, or sometimes there is interesting background noise or, or whatever. But you're you're committing all that to a phonic at this point. You're not worrying about. You're not trying to do any noise reduction on anybody at the beginning. I'm not doing any noise reduction. I'm just I'm deleting, like I said, the most egregious stuff. Like okay, I, a perfect example on the the most recent show we did. Um, there was somebody on who hadn't been on, on our show for a couple of years. And so he didn't know we were recording our individual tracks and wasn't set up to do it. So he just recorded using voice memos on his phone. And he sounded fine, but there was a lot of background noise. And so, um, but there were big stretches where, like, generally he, he um, there were parts where he was talking a lot and parts where he wasn't. So parts where he wasn't, I just, you know, muted his track completely. Um, and you know, the parts where we were having a conversation and it wasn't worth muting and unmuting him. Um, Aphonic did a pretty good job of taking care of it. There there are times you can hear background noise and stuff while he's talking, but I mean, an automated thing like that can only do so much, but it, it did an okay job. And you give yourself permission to not post it milliseconds after we record it. I think you, you kind of step away and then we, we record on Thursdays and, you know, sometimes it might be as late as Sunday which seems like a, a good plan with the challenges, the audio challenges we sometimes have. The only times I, I try and post the same day is when we do, often um, from accessibility, we do a, whenever Apple has an event, 
we usually do a thing like immediately following, sort of uh, give our, our immediate kind of gut reactions to what we just saw. And in that instance, I usually just do the Skype track. So I kind of tell everyone, you know, please mute yourself when you're not talking. Um, because I like to get those up as soon as possible because, you know, it's it's a lot more timely than uh, than the other stuff we do. But otherwise, I don't have a problem taking a few days to get it done. You know, I don't know if you agree with me, but all the complaints about Skype aside, and there are, are many, and we didn't really talk about some of the accessibility issues that came to Skype when it got a more webified interface. But it seems to me that in general, audio quality has been a lot better in the past year or so than it was before. And that if I had to take a Skype track for a recording, I would do it. It wouldn't be my first choice, but it's it's it doesn't seem as unreliable. Wow, that's a nice double negative. It seems more reliable. How about that? Yeah, I would say so. Um, the only thing that I, I do find with Skype, and, and this this only seems to come into play when you have more than two people. Like right now, this isn't happening. But if you have more than two people and everyone's quiet, like if, if, if say I was recording it, I'm talking, everybody on the Skype track is quiet. There's like a, there's a, there's a bit of static. There's like this loud, um, not st- like a hiss. I guess hiss is a better word. Um, but I will use, in that instance, I will use the Amadeus Pro like noise reduction thing to to get rid of that um but otherwise like in terms of like the audio quality like it it sounds quite good if i if i had to use it um you know if and there there are times where you know somebody's track falls through maybe they thought they were recording and they weren't um and so there are times i have to use the skype track and it, it works so let's talk about posting you said you use forecasts so i assume you're putting the markers in while you're working in Amadeus, and then Alphonic respects those markers, and so the file that you get back has them, and that's the basis for your chapters, right? Um, well, no, actually, the way I do it is the first, kind of my first pass, where I, I do the editing for, you know, the really egregious stuff that stands out, and I cut out any sort of any content. Like, sometimes we'll we'll have a Skype problem or, or you know, a, a topic that just Or we say terrible we'll... things. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stuff you only get to hear if you listen live. Um, but it, like I'll, I'll do all those edits. And then when I get the file back from Ophonic, then I go back through. Um, I kind of note where the where the segments start and stop. I'll go through, put the markers in, and then I'll put the opening and closing. And if we have an ad, I'll put that in. And then and then and then I'll save that out. And then um, uh, Forecast can can pick up the markers that Amadeus made and and do the chapter markers and stuff. Yeah, forecast is really cool and it's deceptively simple. I mean, you just because basically you're creating the metadata for the show, but it's also making the MP3. It's really fast, but it's real like I say it's a low overhead tool and it's 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 kind of amazing. Um so so what about hosting? Or where where are we putting the accessibility files and are there any web hosting accessibility issues that you've run across? Well, I don't really have much to do with that. Um, Josh, who used to host the show all the time, um, he runs that aspect of things, and I know he's using um, he's using um, a thing called Second Crack, which is a blog- blogging platform that Marco Arment wrote. Um, his name always seems to come up a lot. Um, yeah, I do and, have my uh, bell. We've done a lot of name, yeah. dra- name talk. Even as much fun as I make of it on Maxisability, when other people drop names, we're doing it all over the place here. And thanks for uh, plugging not only Relay members, but Relay sponsors. Linode, shout out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, 
he has it there. All so all I have to do is upload it, you know, with FTP, and then there's a. Um, he's got it set up where I just have to upload a markdown file, which is the the show notes, and there's some some metadata at the top that you know, um, tells it you know who posted the the thing and all that, and um, I do that through like a form, like there's a, a web form, and then it it regenerates the website and and all that. Um, he was using um, he was using. Uh, WordPress for that, but it was kind of overkill for what we were doing, um, because all all the site really needs to be is the show notes. Um, there's a calendar. There's a player. When the show is actually on live, there's a there's a, a player people can listen to, like a web player. Um, so I don't really have much to do with that. And then and then um, you know I'll go and tweet about it after we posted it and all that. So that's it's, it's pretty straightforward what I have to do. Well, so there's no terrible stories to tell. I was just going to say I use Libsyn and I find it, I, I can't speak to all the voiceover accessibility, but there's a sort of a, a dense weirdness about that interface that I wouldn't wish on anybody. And and the, the accessibility site too, as well, I mean, Josh has a very sort of lean and mean approach to web presentation, which I think is good. There's not a lot of clutter and overhead. And I get the sense that the interface for creating it is probably similar our show notes are pretty simple too but uh so i don't guess i have any good stories other than to say what up libson update your interface uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and do you keep track I'm, I'm not asking for numbers per se but do you uh for for per publication on my show anyway but do you keep track of uh stats of how many downloads and is that something that's accessible through what josh made i think that he does i don't really Honestly, I, I probably should. I just I don't really look. We at should it. make just, him tell you know, us. We should totally yeah. do that. Hey, Josh, how many people are downloading? It's, <laughs> many it's are listening. It's yeah. thousands and thousands of people. So, oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure it must so, be right. Because are there things that you wish were more accessible? Would you like to do podcast recording and editing in a different way? Have you just cobbled together things that that work the way they work, or or are you pretty happy with the setups that you have? Um, I'm pretty happy. Like, I, I mean, there are things about Amadeus I wish were easier. Um, you know, like I said, maybe at some point I'll, I'll give, I'll give Logic a try because I know that seems to be what people use. Um, but I'm, for the most part, I'm, I'm happy enough with, uh, with how stuff works. Like with the, with the types of shows we mostly do where, you know, we're talking to people over Skype or, you know, over some sort of, um, you know, chat thing. Um, yeah, I'm reasonably happy with how things are going. So if you didn't have Auphonic, what do you think you'd do? Because the Levelator is one of those apps that will at, at some point just stop working for us. I don't know. I, I know there are some more advanced uh, tools that people have. And I think, you know, probably some of those, some of the um, other editing apps, like I'm sure Logic has things that will do that. Or I know there's a lot of plugins people get. Um, I hear people talk about those, the... What is it? Isotope things? I think those are. I've heard they're expensive. I I would. They are. I've looked at them, and they're they're crazy expensive. Yeah. The um, uh, logic tools are great. I mean, they they support all the standard plugin formats. My understanding, and I haven't used it, is that there are some like accessibility hiccups. It's not inaccessible, but there are things about it that aren't accessible, which always worries me because when people can't really quantify it. That says to me that you're eventually going to run into something that's going to be problematic yeah. for you. Right. Well, we've reached the point in the show where we do the patented, trademarked, one more thing question where I ask you something and I answer it as well. Of course, in this case, I've 
been answering most of the questions too. Usually I restrain myself far more in parallel episodes. But in any case, so here's my one more thing question. Have you had any notable podcast catastrophes where you've either lost a show completely, had to re-record the show, or just been surprised that you made it through a recording? Uh, anything terrible happened that you want to talk about? Um, I actually had forgotten about this until I was reading your your um, the document earlier and I asked Holly if she can remember anything, and she reminded me of something that happened early on when we did. Um, we were doing an interview um, on uh, with with someone, and my power, um, like I don't know whether we had storms or something, but the power shut off for like half a second. So you know what, we lost power. But unfortunately, it it seemed to I think go on and off, and just the right sequence of things that happened where my Wi-Fi router. Decide to, decided to um, reset to factory defaults. So then I can't get back on. I don't know why at first. And then I have to get my router going again. And like no one, as far as everyone knows, I'm just gone. And, uh, you know, this person, you know, we'd gotten an interview. And so all the, you know, time's ticking away. And I actually don't think we'd lost very much, strangely enough. But um, as far as like, that's the only thing that, that really ever happened. And it was just so... Because I don't think we had done much in the way of interviews before, so I was already kind of nervous. And then, of course, you know, everything just dies, and it takes me a good while to get back up again. I think this is a perfect opportunity for me to tell the Stevie Wonder story, which I have told to many people in real life. I don't know if I've told it on podcasts, so let's just go ahead and do it. So I go to the CSUN Accessibility Technology Conference every year, and uh, Stevie Wonder is known to make an appearance. He likes to walk the exhibit hall and see the new gear, and it's just, it's kind of a known thing. At some point, he will show up with his entourage, and the whole group, the whole uh, uh, conference will kind of go nuts, and it, it literally does change the traffic patterns in the room, because people want to, like be where he is or they want to avoid where he is. Whatever. But anyway, just like lots more people are there and they're moving really quickly. So I was at a conference uh, one year and I was standing at the American Printing House for the Blind booth and I was just chatting and uh, somebody, I heard somebody over my shoulder say, Stevie's here, Stevie's here. And I never really thought about that. I don't particularly want to go get an autograph. I'm not the kind of person who bugs celebrities anyway. But then I remembered, wait, I'm here for the purpose of recording podcast interviews. I have microphones in my pocket. I think I'll go try to interview Stevie Wonder. So I found him. They said he was at the Google booth, which was very large and very easy to find. So I saw, uh, I didn't necessarily uh, know whether I was seeing Stevie Wonder because there was such a large crowd of people. But I noticed that a number of the people were uh, fairly tall African-American gentlemen. And I thought, oh, perhaps those are Stevie's entourage. Those are his folks. And I asked this likely-looking guy, and I said, uh, so uh, are you, do you work for Stevie Wonder? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, uh, I, I was about to do my spiel. Hi, I'm from Blind Bargains Podcast, blah, blah, blah. Could I interview him? And uh, he, he goes, I don't know. Why don't you ask him? And he points, and there's this guy. And finally, like, I realized that the way to get Stevie Wonder's attention is just to holler. Uh, and so I said, hey, Stevie. And his response, which I thought was hilarious, was, what? <laughs> and I said, and I had this really long, this foot-long shotgun microphone. I didn't want to get too close to his personal space. I was trying to be respectful, and there was a big crowd. And I said, I'm with the Blind Bargains. I, talk, I was speaking really quickly. And I said, I'm with the Blind Bargains podcast. Can I interview you? And he said, yeah, sure. I said, I'll, I'll ask you three questions. How's that sound? Because I wanted to set expectations. And he said, make it four. I said, oh, dude, <laughs> this is great. 
So I get, I was like, what am I going to ask? So I asked him basically stuff about what he was seeing at the conference and how he liked it. And I was trying to be like, you know, get good information that would turn into a good segment. And then when it was time for my fourth question that he granted me, I said, you know what I should do is ask about him. I said, so what are you working on? So I feel, I'm feeling really good about this. And he answers all my question and he's great. I think he even gave me a little bonus question. He was just really awesome and very kind and, and very pleasant to talk to. And all the people around were also very pleasant because they were in kind of a scrum. And so I think I give a lot of credit to the people who saw me in my microphone and just let me have the moment. And they kept quiet and they just, and so, so anyway, so I'm excited. I've got my interview. My Blind Bargains teammates are upstairs in, a, in the press room that we have. We have a little suite that's our press room. So I get my interview and I run out of the exhibit hall. I immediately want to go listen to my tape. And I get out of the exhibit hall and I put my headphones in. I wasn't recording. <laughs> no, there's nothing on oh, the tape. No. <laughs> and I hit, oh. it was a two-stage recording process where you hit the recording button once to start the pre-record process. And then you have to hit it a second time to record. And I had just mm-hmm. gotten that recorder like a week before. And so I didn't, I didn't record. And so I have told that story far and wide and it's still and and people were like well why didn't you just go back and ask him again and i was like seriously seriously yeah, no kidding <laughs> like yeah it's like hey stevie here's the thing i wasn't recording before so can we just do that again <laughs> now right now my friend who is a radio reporter says that's basically what you have to do she says you may not have done it the same time but the next time you're there at csun Look out for him. And if the opportunity presents it, presents itself, go and introduce yourself and even tell him the story. And she says, if he was as nice to you as, as you say he was, he probably would think it was funny. And I don't know whether I will or not. But <laughs> Oh, you should. You really should. I think that's hilarious. I mean, I even got him to say, this is Stevie Wonder and you're listening to the Blind Bargains podcast. I mean, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. Well, on, on that auspicious note, I think it's time that I go and edit a podcast. Uh, Darcy Bernard, thank you so much for being on the show. Tell people where they can find you on the internet and some of the things that you do online. Well, the best place to find me is at DHS Darcy on Twitter. The best place is probably the Maccessibility Podcast, which is at maccessibility.net. And you can find Maccessibility in, all, in your podcatcher of choice. And we record that show every two weeks. The next one will be not this Thursday, but the next Thursday. And we do stream it live at 4 p.m. Central Time, 5 p.m. Eastern. You can follow us with the VO Live hashtag. We alternate who is going to host. So every experience with the Maxisability Roundtable podcast is different, wouldn't you say? <laughs> I would say so, yeah. <laughs> I don't know who's hosting <laughs> next week because I'm going to be out of town anyway. You can find this podcast at Parallel Pods on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Shelly, S-H-E-L-L-Y. If you'd like to subscribe to the show and have not for some reason, please go to Relay.fm slash Parallel. That's also where you could become a member of, of Relay and support all the great shows out there on Relay FM. I'll be back in two weeks, if not sooner, with some great interviews from my travels to the CSUN Accessibility Conference out in Anaheim, California. And if you're going to be in L.A. next week for CSUN, find me and say hey. And if I believe that you're Stevie Wonder, I'll interview you. Bye for now.